This podcast relates to the impact of land cover change. I'm hoping to give you plenty of key examples, plus go through the impact of land cover change in terms of the water cycle, soil erosion and degradation, loss of habitat and biodiversity, the degradation of aquatic and marine environments, and regional climates and urban heat islands. Let's start with water cycle. So the water cycle relates to the natural and human influence on the water cycle. And the main things or the main components of the water cycle include evaporation over oceans, water vapour flux transport, precipitation, which includes snowfall and rainfall, surface runoff, evapotranspiration, condensation, groundwater, subsurface runoff, etc. If you need more information on the water cycle, please let me know in class and how it operates. Remember that the water cycle is also known as the hydrological cycle. I'm going to now go through some changes or land cover changes and how they impact on the amount of water in the cycle as well as the quality of that water. So the damming increases the amount of evaporation and filtration in that area. Any altering of land cover change that changes the surface and vegetation of the watershed area will likely increase the runoff, which in turn increases erosion and sediment disposition. Irrigation depletes rivers and water tables, as well as potentially increases the nutrient runoff and causes eutrophication. Deforestation reduces transpiration and raises the water table. Any pollutants can change the nature of precipitation, for instance, acid rain, which has high levels of sulfuric acid. And this occurs in places such as China, even New York City, but mostly in Eastern Europe, in a number of our old Soviet Union states, such as Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova. And the overuse of groundwater for drinking, irrigation and industrial use has had an impact on the water table. We've seen that impact in Perth itself with the Nangara Aquifer. The second impact of land cover change comes through soil erosion and degradation. Remember that soil is part of the ecosystem that supports biodiversity. With the greater demand for agricultural commodities such as palm oil, coffee, cotton, soybean and wheat, there comes the need for land to be changed in order for agriculture. It means that grasslands and forests become croplands. So there's that link between a biome and an anthrome. And I'll just repeat it. So the change to coffee, soybean and wheat in terms of changing land to agriculture changes it from being grasslands and forests to croplands, which is the anthrome. The impact of this includes soil erosion, compaction of the soils, loss of soil structure, nutrient degradation and soil salinity. The impact of soil erosion is that there is a less fertile land, increased pollution from fertiliser, and as a result of the mining process, there could even be clogged waterways from sediment and soils that are prone to flooding. Soil erosion and degradation is caused by deforestation, overgrazing and agrochemicals such as pesticides. The effects are the loss of arable land, clogged and or polluted waterways, and increasing flooding. Arable land meaning land 
that we can grow crops on. The third impact of land cover change comes in the form of loss of habitat and biodiversity. And if you remember when we went to Mandra, Bonnie and her team of experts spoke to us about this very thing. The impact of land cover change on loss of habitat at local and regional levels refers mainly to deforestation and degradation of forests. This has occurred due to the expansion of agricultural land, the increase in demand for timber and other forest products, and overgrazing. If you think about the success of, for instance, IKEA stores in terms of flat packing wood from China and mating it in your own home. Tropical rainforests are most at risk of exploitation and they contain over 50% of the world's biodiversity. Remember, Mandra is a biodiversity hotspot. It is important that there is a local and regional response to the impact of the loss of biodiversity. There are many stakeholders, and it is acknowledged that there needs to be an integrated response to this issue, such as the one they've got in Mandra with the Mali Reserve, being this idea of a nature highway from one section of Mandra to another section of Mandra where birds, plants and animals can all grow in one specific area in order to maintain habitat and biodiversity. Conservation sometimes increases the suffering of local and regional people, and it's important that human well-being is a part of the strategy or the response will not be sustainable. Therefore, protected areas and wild species management need to be coordinated with local and regional cultural and economic factors. An example of this is combining Indigenous people's traditional land management, such as patchwork, and mosaic planting with modern science. The fourth impact of climate change comes in the form of the degradation of aquatic and marine environments. Now you would have heard on the news hopefully about the degradation of for instance the Great Barrier Reef and the degradation of our fishing stocks around the world. People have always lived near to the coast, rivers and other water sources and as such have had an impact on the quality and flow of the water when they change the land cover. The quality of the watershed areas and runoff into oceans has an impact on aquatic and marine flora and fauna. Pollution is the major cause in terms of chemicals and effluent causing damage to habitats and therefore animals. Remember that effluent relates to waste. Eutrophication can occur when excess nutrients such as fertilizers enter the water courses and cause an algal bloom. This algal bloom can reduce the oxygen in the water and fish and other marine and aquatic life dies. Ocean acidification can also occur as a result of the dramatic rise in carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. The impact of this is that in order to absorb the carbon dioxide, the pH levels lower and the water becomes more acidic, which in turn affects the marine biology. Finally, damming is the ultimate inland cover change where, in order to provide drinking water, hydroelectric power and water for irrigation, the impact is large and wide-ranging. The Three Gorges Dam in China is a perfect example of this. Another example would be the hydroelectric power plant and dam built in Tasmania. Damming stops the normal flow of sediment from flowing down rivers and streams, which in turn affects physical processes and habitats. Damming changes the water temperature and levels of nutrients, which can have far-reaching effects such as the sediment and nutrients from the Congo River, which provide a carbon sink for atmospheric gases in the Atlantic Ocean. So just want to replay, just go back a step in terms of that last sentence, and I'll read it out again. 
Damming changes the water temperature and the levels of nutrients, which can have far-reaching effects such as the sediment and nutrients from the Congo River, which provide a carbon sink for atmospheric gases in the Atlantic Ocean. So we're talking about the sub-Saharan Central African country of the Democratic Republic of Congo or Congo-Brazzaville. They are two different states. One was colonised by the French, one was colonised by the Belgians. The Congo River acts as a carbon sink, or what we call carbon sequestration, into the Atlantic Ocean. And with the river being dammed, in order for it to not grow any, uh, for not to flow any more, what happens is that fast-moving water gets replaced with slow-moving water, and mosquito-borne diseases can proliferate, such as malaria, which is increased, which increases disease risk, like what we studied last year when we looked at Ebola. The other case is China's Three Dam Project, where they'll require people to resettle, which creates a whole new land cover change. So in China, what they're asking to do with this Three Dam Project is to actually move people away from their existing villages into other areas of China in order to build this dam. The final impact of land cover change relates to regional climates and urban heat islands. The urban heat island effect, remember, is the warming of temperatures due to the man-made environment in an urban area. For instance, feeling slightly warmer when you are in, for instance, St George's Terrace compared to when you are out in the countryside. This is caused due to the removal of natural surfaces which absorb and use a greater level of the heat, whereas the built environment uses materials that are non-reflective and water-resistant and in turn radiate more heat. If ever you've been around concrete, let's say at a netball game or a basketball game, and it's rained. And actually for the next five, 10 minutes, you actually feel hotter because there is no absorption of the heat. You can see that if we go from a rural area, which might be at say 29.4 degrees, you then go to a suburban residential area where it's now gone to about 31 degrees to a commercial area at about 37, and the CBD is at 32 degrees, then it goes back down to 29 where you have got the rural area, rural area again. So we've just gone through in this podcast five main impacts of land cover change. Through the water cycle, soil erosion and degradation, the degradation of aquatic and marine environments, regional climates and urban heat islands, and of course, loss of habitat and biodiversity.